Welcome to my podcast, You Are Here For Now, a series of conversations inspired by my new book of the same name. I'm your host, artist and author, Adam J. Kurtz. Each week on this show, I'll chat with some of the smartest, kindest, most generous, beautiful, amazing, talented people I know, and ask them about all of that being alive stuff that we don't always get to talk about, like passion, purpose, mortality, true love, defining success, mental illness, and figuring out what's next when you don't really know what you're doing. These conversations have already helped me so much, and I can't wait to share them with you. In this episode, I'm chatting with old friends Tuesday Bassin and Jake Hagendahan about everything from inclusive fashion and coping mechanisms to helping others through traumatic experiences, finding your own support system, and leaving a positive legacy for others. Tuesday Bassin is an award-winning illustrator, apparel designer, and creator of the inclusive fashion line Tuesday of California, which can be found at shoptuesday.com. Jake Hagendahan is a registered nurse who was working through all of this uh, pandemic shit. She is a Philippinex trans non-binary femme who is just trying to make sense of the world. She's also one of my oldest friends and in my opinion, queer royalty who I have learned so much from. Uh, This episode is 100% just me like being super stoked about my friends and really excited to see them. Uh, Tuesday and Jay, welcome to the podcast. And this is not a normal question that I would ever probably ask you. Um, Jay, are you happy? Am I happy? <laughs> yeah. No, like, are you happy? In in life, this is a question um, that I'm like, I'm asking people and I'm genuinely curious about. Because for me, being happy is, being happy doesn't come naturally. I mean, literally in my brain chemistry, it doesn't come naturally. So I'm so curious, like, are you happy? What makes you happy? How do you create happiness? Like, can we talk about it? That is a really good question for this time in my life right now. I think that, so I'm going on a sort of gender journey and getting closer to gender euphoria, doing things that make me feel comfortable in my own body. Um, I was assigned male at birth and I'm trying to get more in touch with my feminine side. And so I'm doing the things that life is short. I don't want to water myself down for anybody. And I, and I'm pushing all the barriers, all the things that I was afraid to do to be happy, to just say F it and be happy. And so I'm getting close. I'm a lot happier than I used to be. Um, you know, aside from, uh, addressing all the things that I was going through like I think where I'm at in my place right now I'm I'm a lot I'm a lot happier so yeah I could say I'm I'm happy I I, am getting closer to the body I feel comfortable in I'm having a career I feel really happy in I have really supportive friends I'm just really grateful right now so I'm grateful to be happy (laughs) that's so corny oh my god you know what, like, you are here for now, like, this whole podcast, like, this whole book, like, this is, it is corny. It's corny to be earnest. It's corny to be vulnerable about, like, the basic building blocks of being a person. And something that I don't love necessarily about, I don't know if it's our generation, I don't know if it's just, like, culture at large, like, 
the fact that we have to even feel insecure about being corny when just expressing these very basic human desires. Like, if you're hearing that tone, that means that we've entered a, a corny space in the podcast. This is now a safe space for corniness. Uh, it's sad that it's corny to... I feel like being corny is under- underrated. Yeah, right? Like, I'll be corny every day of my life if it means I'm not depressed. Like, yeah. I'll be corny every day of my life if it means I can communicate honestly with the people around me about what my needs are, my, where my boundaries are. Like, can we just embrace being corny? Yeah. I think that's been a big part of my happiness journey is being like, yeah, I'm this person. Like, and and you you two know that because you know me, but but being more of this person on the internet too, like shedding layers of like a professional self to just be like, no, this is what I'm actually like. Cause as soon as you meet me, you know, mm-hmm. Jay, it's interesting to me that you are feeling like you're just now becoming happier because I always think of you as a very happy person. And so I just wonder how you feel like, are you just really good at wearing a mask? Yeah. I mean, you know, growing up queer, you're just used to lying and trying to blend in, I think. And like, just, putting on this role while we're, you know, we're like pretending to be straight for so long. Um, you also have to pretend to be happy sometimes. <laughs> um, but yeah, like full disclosure, I've also struggled a lot with like depression and SI. And so like uh, recently I have gotten into therapy and like got on medications and like things that like, you know, it's not just situational. It's also I have to understand that I had a, brain chemical imbalance so like i'm addressing the things that i was ignoring for so long um so i'm on a good journey to happiness i would say that makes me so happy it's also thank you it makes me sad to hear that there was such a like a stretch of time in your life that you had to pretend to be straight or that you felt like you needed to pretend to be straight or pretend to be different things but also as someone who's known you for a long time it's like unfathomable to me that anyone ever would believe that you were straight or or that anyone would ever No, like I really I can't even imagine like even you know even to me times when maybe you presented as more masculine like to me you've always been very feminine and like in touch with the femininity like I don't know what's appropriate to talk about for for podcast listeners who who don't know Jay is like um, a very attractive person and (laughs) has always been noticeably attractive. And so the idea of Jay blending in is like, it's just not possible. Like Jay is unable to do that (laughs) due to high levels of being attractive. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) I think one of the biggest compliments I've ever gotten is that somebody thought that I was dating Jay at one of my art openings. Oh my god, I would die. She was holding my then brand new dog, Gus. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and they were like, oh, is that your significant other? And I was like, oh my god, thank you. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no disrespect to Tuesday, but like... I know. I don't know if you could pull also, a J. I was not like cute at that point either, so... <laughs> it's like, Josh is listening and is like, what? <laughs> oh no, it wasn't Josh. I wouldn't... I would never... Say oh that. my god! I feel like people. I feel like people probably have seen Tuesday and I and thought that we were dating. You think so? I mean, like walking down the street. I think that we make. I think that we would make a really great couple. 
not actually, but like, you know, in a photograph, like if, you know, the photo that comes with the picture frame at like yeah. Marshall's TJ Maxx, like we could totally be. They would be like, who are these frames? <laughs> There's got to be like a lifestyle brand that's selling frames for like, you know, people who used to shop at Anthropology but have pivoted to like <laughs> something a little crustier. <laughs> what the f*** am I saying? Do you remember when you asked me if I was gonna have like a crusty Riot Girl playlist for my birthing playlist? I just want to know if your baby's gonna pop out to like Latigra or not. Like, it's a good question. <laughs> Speaking of, so you're about to have a baby. Are you on your happiness journey? Yeah. Okay. Honestly, on my full corny self, I feel like the forced isolation of the past year. You know, obviously this is speaking from like a very privileged place, but I feel like it was good for me to like really have some time to think about what I wanted from life. And I was like, you know, I'm pretty tired of living my life for other people, you know, like even if it's my own doing or my own feeling that I needed to. And, um, you know, like I feel, I mean, I'm in such a great partnership now and I feel so secure and happy in it. And, um, I think Josh is a really special person that made me feel like I could even be like safe enough to like want a child. And I was Mm -hmm. like, I really want a child with you. So I feel like I've just been feeling pretty i mean pregnancy is gross and wild <laughs> but i've actually been feeling pretty happy during it and like very excited and like very excited that josh is excited too and like i just feel like i don't know it's nice to move forward with like love in mind Aww. instead of like career mm, okay we will definitely talk about career because there's a whole lot there with you but i'm wondering how do you know that you are like you found the person that you want to make a baby with i so i was not sure that i wanted to like have a child really before i met josh because i was like i was like with who you know like yeah like a like an awful proposition like with most people um and i just felt right away like wow, someone would be so lucky to have Josh as a dad. Oh, Just, like, someone deserves that. And I feel like there are so many, like, flaky or shitty dads in the world. You know, I mean, like, I think yeah, it's Yeah, I know what you mean. There's, yeah. there's a range of people. Yeah, there's a range. Yeah. And I just was like, wow, this would be... I want somebody to have this experience. Yeah. Josh is going to be an awesome dad. Yeah. He's already a dad. Like some people are just dads before they're even dads. Yes. Yeah. totally. Which is different than daddy. That's not the same. (laughs) But also someone's going to be really happy to have you as a mom. Well, it took me longer to realize that. Like I was like, Josh would be a great dad, but I was not sure about myself. Why do you think that is? Well, I mean, I, you know, I have an anxiety disorder and like a major depressive disorder. And I feel like once I find. Oh, my God. Wait, do we? 
all have that? Ah! <laughs> wow! Oh my god. Uh, if you're just tuning in, we are um, here for the chemical imbalance hour. <laughs> We're all medicated. We are all medicated. But I do feel like, you know, I was in therapy for so long and it really helped me. Um, but I think being able to like seek out medication just to like correct a chemical imbalance was like huge mm-hmm. for me because I didn't love like who, like I knew who I wanted to be, but there was kind of a disconnect because I think it was just like my own brain chemistry that was keeping me from being able to like continue to develop in a way that I wanted to, to be able to be the best parent that I could be. Yeah. I love that. It was also motivated by like, Hey, I want to be a better parent. I want to be a better person to the people totally. in my life. And I think that you've also touched on something that people forget about medication, which is that, you know, the three of us are are all really strong, stubborn people who really mm-hmm. kind of fight for what we believe in, fight for what we want. We really build things. We build our home lives. We build our friendships. We build our families. We build our community around us. I think Tuesday and Jay, you both have really built worlds around you and are the type of people that people are really drawn to. And so it's also, you know, maybe the the personality type that wants to um, just will themselves through any sort of like chemical imbalance or any sort of lacking where you're like, okay, I can do anything. So why can't I just think and fight and push my way through this feeling? And it's like, at a certain point, like, that's just science. Right. And I guess, Jay, you know science. I don't I don't know science. So yeah. when you say the word science to me, I'm like, oh, okay, this is not my place. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, that's exactly right. I was thinking that too, because like on paper, I would write things. I was I would think about it like, why, why am I so affected? Why am I so upset or sad all the time when like I have sometimes like not a lot to not a lot to be sad about, like particularly, but I'm still upset. Um, you know, but I, I, I come from a place of privilege where I can access medical assistance. And I also am privileged enough to have a support system. So, you know, you and Tuesday, like if I am, I, I know I have really good friends to help me through that. And that's another thing that's definitely helped me with this journey is like having a support system is so crucial and being self-aware of when you need help is also very crucial. Um, I think for a long time, I felt like, oh, I have a support system. I have, you know, the privilege of of a work-life balance. I mean, it's not a great balance, but like I'm my own boss. Like I felt like I had all those things. So therefore I had no right to feel the way I felt. And that's like, you know, oh, like you don't need medication because you have all this and this and like you have friends, you know, and it's like, okay, but you do also like there's some things that you simply cannot will your way through or like, um gratitude list your way through like here's my gratitude list okay depression cured it's like well no not quite but then I do think that it is really special to have the type of friends that talk about this stuff and I Tuesday not to like (laughs) not to put you on blast but I remember when you started going to therapy after some of your early sessions you'd be like Adam I just had a great session here's what we talked about and I was like The beautiful thing about therapy is that it is a space for you to discuss with your therapist these things and not share them necessarily with the friends and family around you. 
Yeah, you, I don't know if you remember, but you were the first person in my life that suggested maybe therapy would be beneficial. I do remember. (laughs) Were you just being nice and not bringing it up? Just Um, now? Well, I don't want to take credit for like all the good things in your life, but like, you know, was it me? Yes, but it's fine. It's like, it's so nice to have like a friend that loves you and comes at it from like a non-judgmental angle to be like I feel like this would really yeah be beneficial to you and then I think I was like I wanted to be like Adam Adam you're right no I know that's what I loved that response from you because you're right a certain type of friend might take it the wrong way like what you think I need therapy but it's like no therapy is therapy is not a bad thing therapy is a gift and if you are privilege enough to be able to afford it or find access to therapy and care it's like that's an incredible part of your regimen it's like you know it's like anything else that we do good for ourselves it's like getting a mani-pedi it's like getting a massage like well it's actually more i think more essential than both of those things um and i i think i recognize in you tuesday a certain kind of ambition and drive um really hardwired to your identity as a person and and something that you and I have in common Tuesday is that we really built brands around our creative expression and creative output as directly tied to our identities and so I really felt the way that like a situation at work wouldn't just feel like a a situation at work it was a situation in your life because you were your work and finding ways to to unplug and disconnect but also not disconnect so fully that you can't parse through the pieces and pull out, you know, what was good from it. Yeah, I just really knew that therapy was going to be helpful. And then it had this extra effect of like, I was then out of therapy, you were still going to therapy. And you sort of reminded me like, Adam, go back to therapy. And <laughs> and I needed that too. Um, although to be transparent, I, I stopped going to therapy because it, my new insurance didn't cover it. And it was just like, my insurance was so expensive and the therapy was so cost prohibitive. And I'm just really grateful to have better insurance now. Yeah. My insurance still doesn't cover therapy. Oh my God. I, we don't need to so talk about, well, actually maybe we should. But... Yeah. The, the politics that, that podcast for the tragedy in American healthcare and insurance companies. That's a, that's a whole nother. Mm-hmm. That's definitely a podcast that exists. It's yeah, it does. <laughs> oh, is that a real podcast? Oh no, I mean, there's lots oh, of okay. podcasts I hear about, <laughs> yeah. like you know, yeah, American healthcare in general, society, like mental health, things like that. So. Yeah, oh, everything is fucked. I just want everyone to have access to care, and I know that it's like I know that that's a silly thing to say, but then I'm like, why does that have to be a silly thing to say? Like, couldn't it's it not be? So- one of my coworkers is from New Zealand and she's, she's, she was a nurse in New Zealand. She came over here and like we work with insurances at the hospital and she was like, wait, how come everyone here doesn't have healthcare coverage? And I was like, this is America, sweetie. Not, yeah. <laughs> not everyone has healthcare coverage, unfortunately. Um, I was, cause I was in relation, I was talking to myself and how I am lucky to access my medical treatments and like gender affirming care is not a universal thing in america like i'm lucky to live in california where you know california protects so i am transgender non-binary femme and like i am pursuing care to help me 
get to where I want to be. And like, I feel so bad for people who can't access that, who live in like, not in California, who don't have these things covered, who can't just like simply walk into a place because now, you know, in some states, they're actually denying healthcare to people they feel like doesn't go along with their beliefs. And it's just so unfortunate. Like that's our reality right now that people are being denied healthcare for whatever, for, you know, for having birth or forever for trying to help themselves in, in their journeys. It's unfortunate. Yeah. It's sort of unbelievable, but then also completely believable when you think about literally how everything seems to be working. Um, Jay, you've been, you've been busy this entire pandemic. I think many people have been just trying to lay low and like work from home and hide. You've been working the entire time you have had and recovered from COVID. Um, but even beyond this, like you are often helping people during some of the most traumatic experiences of their lives. Like, like your every day is like someone's like anecdote of the hardest time they've ever experienced. What is that like? And, you know, how do you brace yourself emotionally for work? And, you know, you said that you were really happy in a job that you love, but are there any, are there ever any times when you're like, Jesus Christ, like, why the f did I pick this? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> actually all the time. It was actually during the, the height of uh during the height of the pandemic um our hospital was swamped like we have a 400 bed capacity 300 something of those were covid patients um and it's just it was really frustrating because like one there was so many issues like with as far as like personal protective equipment um how this virus is being transmitted or is it airborne is it droplet and then you know, seeing the numbers as far as deaths and then seeing like we had to have a truck in the back of our hospital because our morgue couldn't hold all the bodies that we needed to put in there. And it's just like, it's so draining. But at the same time, like, I have to remember that like we signed up for this, like our, my personal, whatever I feel is sort of like out the door. Like I need to leave that outside because there's someone here who needs my help right now. So I can, I, I, as hard as it is, I can't bring anything in it. I can't bring any of that into the hospital. So when I leave, then I can like, like process then, like talk to my therapist and like go do things that make me happy. Like things that I can control is what I would focus on. Yeah. Do you have, do you have days of work when you like walk out the door and cry? Like, do you have days that are so hard or you've just experienced such a difficult you're nodding already yeah yeah there are times when i go i have to go in my car and i sit there and i'm like what what what, what just happened today you know oh my gosh and then i look forward to the next couple of hours she's just like chilling before i go back in the next day so yeah there are times when it's really hard but then there are also times i feel super happy like i'm really glad that that person is getting what they need. Yeah. That makes me happy that like I I got to be a part of that. So And maybe maybe especially when there are patients that you know like you being the provider of care is especially meaningful for them too. Like someone who sees them who they are, where they're at in this moment and can make them feel comfortable. Yeah. And like I have two jobs and one of them is working in transgender care and like me i know how happy this helps me and so like 
to be a part of someone else's journey is like so rewarding. And like, especially in the political climate we are now, like I was so happy that we get to provide this for the community because like, you know, this isn't happening in other states. So yeah, I'm really yeah. like, you know, like you said, life is short. So like I, people are now like, oh, I need to do that. I need to do gender affirming care now because I don't know what tomorrow's going to look like. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a core theme that I've been thinking about in my life. That's a, I mean, that's the core theme of you are here for now as a, the book is like, it's for now. You know what I mean? Like TikTok, like you could die and that's mm-hmm. very dramatic. And the publisher was a little bit like, how can we position this in a way that's less dire? But it's like, it is dire. Like every minute that you are not living the life that you know you want, every minute that you're not doing the things that you know that you really want to do, that you're putting off out of fear or any other reason. It's like, that's a minute of your life that you don't get to live in joy and truth and in, in happiness. And I'm so inspired, Jay, by the way that you are making changes, not just for, you know, in your personal life and in, in your own way that I am privy to as a friend, but the way that you are sharing that journey publicly on Instagram, which, you know, it doesn't always feel like activism in the moment, but there is something about living very visibly and and choosing to share those moments that feels like a form of activism. And I don't know, you've, you've always been an activist to me ever since I saw your like homemade activist art in your childhood bedroom. I was like, oh, she's an activist. <laughs> Yeah, she's been marching in the streets for I don't know how long now, helping gays get married or whatever. Uh, um, <laughs> but yeah, um, thank you. I really appreciate that. It's, and we are here in the now. And So full disclosure, I had uh, facial feminization surgery to help you know with my gender affirmations. And one of the questions that one of my um, trans sister proposed to me was like, you know, especially during the pandemic, she's like, Jay, life is short. Is this the face and the body that you want to die in? Mmm. Holy sh**. Whew. I know. It, wow. Seriously. How cool to like, have someone say that. Like, girl, from zero to a hundred. I'm like, yeah, you're right. Like, this is not how I want to go. Like, let, what am I waiting for? You know? Yeah. That's kind of the thing that I want to put out there, too, is, like, I, I will share my journey with people because, like, I have had... We, we have similar fears about, like, who's going to be there for us after and, like, what does life look like after and during, and, you know, it's, but really you got to do it for yourself. Do you mean after, after gender affirming surgeries or do you mean after death? Uh, yeah, sorry, I meant surgeries. Okay. Meant surgeries. <laughs> yeah, like any type of gender affirming care, it could be hormones or whatever, like, or just expressing yourself how you want to, like, you know, yeah. This outward presentation, and and that's one of the major concerns. Is like, how do we walk through the world if we've been read a certain way, and now we're going to change the narrative, and it's going to be this way, and we just open ourselves to a lot of vulnerability. But but really, it's like, are we going to be unhappy for so long just to make other people feel comfortable? That's yeah. What I want. Yeah, people will never be comfortable. It's right. really their comfort with themselves yes it's always about the other person and i think Mm -hmm. it's so hard to to learn that for yourself and then you learn it and then it's really hard to feel it right Mm -hmm. it's like knowing the answer doesn't make it feel true 
totally inside well, and it, doesn't, it doesn't make you feel safe either you know no it does not and so that is like the personal journey that you'll spend a lifetime on it's like hey i know all the answers how do i apply them right now and something that i think about all the time is like like i have been in therapy i have learned like i've been through a lot of different things in my life like i've learned a lot of the answers i learned a lot of the tools the things that i could do the things that i should do uh, the things that I am actively doing. And then when shit hits the fan, when you are at your most vulnerable, when you are, you know, having sort of a, a flare up or a moment when you're having an anxiety attack, it's like you have to quickly remember all those things. You have to remember those coping mechanisms. You have to remember those truths. And and it can be hard to. Tuesday, I want to talk to you about what you do for work. I want to talk to you about Tuesday of California, the brand, because I think that's also such a great example of like, wanting to create a space and wanting to create things that don't exist the way that you want them to and the way that you need them to for yourself and for people that you care about. Yeah. So Tuesday of California is a clothing brand that I started originally based off of my illustration work. Um, I started it in 2015 and then really kind of doubled down in 2016. And, you know, when I was younger, um, you know, like my mom has always been a plus sized person or has been in my life a plus sized person. And, um, you know, it was so, um, it just sucked to like watch how hard it was for her to find anything that would fit her even as like a size 24, which like, you know, now in a more like fat activist era is like considered pretty like small fat or like midsize. Um, but, um, you know, it just like, it just wrecked her. And, you know, like I wanted something so different for her and, um, for myself too, because I also feel like, you know, everyone benefits from, um, you know, like inclusive um, sizing, you know, like a size 10 person, you know, um, like I, you know, growing up in the 90s and early 2000s, like you, even if you were straight sized and you could find something off the rack, it was still like um, very... I don't know, ashamed. everyone's so ashamed of their bodies and themselves and um, that, you know, they're translated to other people. I remember shopping in the men's section as a, as a fat kid and it, it was husky. The size was literally called husky. Like the word fat was going to be too triggering, but to be called a dog was like, okay. Mm-hmm. And I would be like, okay, time to get my dog pants, I Your guess. Your husky boy pants my husky boy pants and I'm still a husky boy. I've been a husky boy my whole life. Yeah. And turns out that that's actually allowed. You know, you think that they're going to take you out back and shoot you, but they, they <laughs> actually let you live in, in whatever body you have. Um, at least in my experience and people can love you even if you're not skinny. That's also, that was a game changer for me. Yeah. Um, just wild. And when we, when we talked to um, Grace Michelli and Jordan Sondler, Jordan had a lot of great things to say about Tuesday of California because you're making not just size-inclusive clothes, but like cool size-inclusive clothing, right? Because there's been size-inclusive clothing and it is often, it's not that cool or you have fewer color options or it's the same pattern 
for a smaller size that's just been like, you know, it's just the bigger version and it doesn't fit right, right? That happens all the time. Designers are like, we're size inclusive. We've made an extra large and it just doesn't (laughs) fit. Yeah. Or it fits like garbage. And then I also feel like that's been a thing with like athleisure being such a big thing is that you can get athleisure. You can get like all those sweats and whatever in, in larger sizes, but the drape is never right. And so it just looks like you're wearing a pair of $5 sweatpants. And so the exact same garment looks completely different on a different body. I don't know. I think about this a lot because I get targeted ads on Instagram for like cool boy sweats and shorts. And I caved and I ordered a pair of shorts that looked so good in the ad. And I put them on and they were like skin tight. And I was like, (laughs) you don't, I was like, you don't, you didn't, you don't have a single like fat friend who could try this on for you. Like what's a cool boy? Like. (laughs) Yeah, I don't I don't know what a cool boy I think cool boy is like you it's a way to sell like a pair of shorts that cost $3 to make through sweatshop labor, but you can sell it for $60 by targeting it to like uh, affluent millennials. Yeah, totally. And I feel like clothes are so it's interesting to come to clothing from like a visual arts angle and just like Mm a human angle because I didn't go to school for fashion at all. It's more like um, from my own experience wearing clothing. (laughs) Yeah, right. Like you didn't go to like business school to be like, oh, there's an untapped market of people in bodies. It's like (laughs) (laughs) you were just like, what do I want to wear? And does it fit me right? Yeah, exactly. And it's like, you know, again, like as like a size 10 person, it's like, I have so many more options than, you know, people who are, you know, size 30. Um, But it's still like, I feel like there's a real disconnect. Like, I feel like a lot of people who are passionate about fashion in terms of it being an art form Mm -hmm. are, I'm making sweeping generalizations, but I feel like. That's okay. This is a podcast. It's not. Yeah. I feel like sometimes people feel annoyed with actually having to think about a body that's going in yeah. versus I feel like I'm more concerned about the body that's going in Right. Like some people want to create a garment as like a sculpture and right. it's like annoying that a person has to wear. Can I ask you a question? Do you think that there are designers who just like don't want fat people to wear their clothes, period? Yeah. One thousand percent. That's, yeah. I think there are even like size inclusive brands that don't want people that people to wear their clothes. Like size inclusive, but not too size inclusive. Yeah. And I just want to say, aside from being size inclusive, Tuesday, I really appreciate that you're also just inclusive in general as far as like uh, gender. Like, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I may have modeled for Tuesday once or twice. And like, it doesn't really say specifically that. Like, this is a garment for a certain gender. Like, this is what it is. Like, Yeah. And I, I think it's important to clarify for the, the readers that we are in the presence of a model. Um, <laughs> so this this is a safe space, but it is not safe for models. Models are here. <laughs> but, like, there are certain types of clothing that are, like, made for certain genders or certain, like, and, like, what I really appreciate about Tuesday's brand is that, like, there's clothes that are made for not just for people assigned female at birth. Like this 
works on my body too. And I'm not a cisgender woman, but I feel good in this. I feel great in this. And it doesn't say this is a woman's garment. It just says the garment. Yeah. Yeah. At Tuesday of California, the clothes are for, for everyone. It's if you have money, you can buy this. <laughs> that's the that's the catchphrase when you go to the website. It says, "If you have money, buy this." It money, says, "Click here to buy." I think yeah. It's, hey, it's, you got money? You got a body? <laughs> Come on down to Tuesday of California. Money? Money? Do you have money? Yeah. No. This is like a like a local access um, commercial. <laughs> I Please like make it, this. It's so interesting, you know. Obviously, like as just an imperfect regular regular person to like explore you know like how to make clothing in you know a, a way that like includes you know like gender non-conforming non-binary trans individuals and you know like also you know thinking about like fitting the plus body Fitting, you know, like a body with broader shoulders, fitting a body, you know, that's maybe like a little more flat chested fitting, you know, just like fitting size and like, you know, really trying to approach clothing making from, you know, the mindset of like, we, how do we make this work for, you know, so many different kinds of humans. And, you know, it's, I don't think that I have all the answers, you know, and like, I think I'm coming at it more from like a personal angle, you know, like there's so many people I care about in my life that I would like to fit and I don't want to leave anybody out. Um, But yeah, I feel like that's something that Allie who's worked with me for like six years and I always talk about is like, you know, like how do we make something that like translates across these broad ranges what sort of like pre-existing fits can we like work with to like accommodate larger shoulders or, you know, like, you know, um, more ample busts or, you know, anything like that. Cause there are like tips and tricks that you can do. Like we do, um, we use a lot of like vintage pleating and venting, like in the back of dresses to be able to um, accommodate a larger bus so it'll pull from there instead of from here. That's something that I really was so struck by in some of your garments through the the pleating and the, the elastic in certain places because bodies are always in flux, right? Like you are not one size or one shape for your entire life. And creating garments that can grow with you instead of that thing of like, oh, I've gained 10 pounds or I've lost 10 pounds. I need a whole new wardrobe. Like that's so wasteful and impractical. And most of us will fluctuate our entire lives and will transform our entire lives. So I love that that's something you're thinking of. And one thing that you just said that I really wanted to to call out and draw attention to is that you were saying that there are so many different people in your life that you love that you want to be able to dress for. And I think that, you know, there are people who genuinely have a majority of friends that look like them. And... You can really tell when someone doesn't, when someone surrounds themselves with a diversity of people, mm-hmm. not diversity and inclusion because, oh, my friend group is missing like uh, a fat guy. It, but because like you just see people for people and it's it's it shows it shows in the work, it shows in your attitude, it shows in your perspective. Your life is so much richer for it. And it's it's really sad when you're. I don't know. It's really sad to be like out and the table next to you at brunch is like five identical people. And you're like, mm-hmm. oh, 
this is this is the limit of your experience. Also, how boring. I don't like it with five people who look like me. I'm like, go away, Tuesday. <laughs> and yeah, that goes back to your question earlier, Adam, about like, do you think there's designers out there who like don't make clothes mm-hmm. for fat people? It's because they it kind of shows that they don't care. You know, like people in their circle of their life, like, oh, you must not care about those people because you're not making clothes for people that are of that type. You know what I mean? Like. Yeah, I think that I think that the people that we surround ourselves with really it just it says a lot about us, but it also has the potential to really impact us in such an important way. Like at the time that you and I became friends, Jay, like I was sort of like rebuilding my friends and rebuilding my life coming out of a very sheltered religious upbringing. And I'm so grateful that in my case the internet led me to a lot of different people because in real life I would never or not never, but at that stage of my life as a teenager, I wouldn't meet someone like you because I grew up in an ultra religious bubble and like how lucky I was to meet someone who was very queer and very vocal about being queer and queer rights and also just like very funny and also like a sexual being who was talking about about gay sex and like those sorts of things, queer sex and those sorts of things uh, in a way that could positively impact me instead of what what often happens is you regurgitate the opinions and perspectives that you've been fed by the people around you. And if you're if you're not careful, you really internalize them. Right. And we've all internalized a lie before. We've all heard a lie in our youth, really believed it to be true and made it true for maybe longer than it needed to be. And I think that can be really sad. Um, I want to pivot. How would you like to be remembered after you're gone? Do you ever think about this? Jay's nodding. Jay, how do you want to be remembered? That's this timing of this conversation is so interesting because like, at least for me as like a queer person where I'm at at my point in my life, um, I was talking about legacies with one of my friends and like, like, I sort of have a house. I'm sort of a house mother. And I have like queers that are significantly younger than me that I love like to take under my wing and show them like, hey, it's hard to be queer. It's hard to be queer in LA. Um, It's hard to like navigate these spaces. Um, But for me, like, I'm really lucky to know that people know me as someone who's approachable and someone who is like, who will care for them, who's kind because like, it's hard to find that out here. So do you consider um, your like chosen family friend group a house in that way? Because you definitely have like what I would call a squad. Like I see them on Instagram and I know when there's a new member because I'll like, oh, who's that? Follow, follow them. <laughs> I'll be seeing more of them. I better follow now. <laughs> it's like we're not an official house. We don't go to like balls and like vogue it out. But we definitely have a safe space and hold it out for each other. And like, we're all a bunch of like oddballs that like, wouldn't normally fit in conventionally gay spaces in Los Angeles. I think we need to clarify that like, Los Angeles queer spaces, at least from an outsider's perspective are very segregated. Right? Yeah. Because y'all would kill it in New York. And but yeah, like, (laughs) I know, I'm just saying, I'm like like a New York nine, but LA six or seven. I don't know. Like, (laughs) That's actually, why is that true? I mean, I know why it's true, racism. But, like, I hate that it's true. I hate that it feels true. But also, I feel like dysmorphia in LA is so much higher because, like, there's so much Mm. access to, like, things that you think need to be fixed. Like, 
There's a tanning salon every block. There's a nutri shop. There's a gym. Like so many gyms out here, plastic surgeons, all these things out here. More than I mean, it's we're also like we're Hollywood is where TV magic and like producing all that stuff mm. is. So like, it's there's a lot of hyper focus on appearances out here. But anyway, to to circle back, I think um, my legacy would be to I guess like continue this this tradition of queer elders and um, and like just helping out because like I think about like Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera and like how much they've contributed contributed to like the trans and queer community. Like, and it's, it's like, we're not done. We're not done with the work. And like, I, I'm not a huge political mover, but I'm doing what I can um, in my little spaces. And hopefully that would be my legacy. That would be how people remember me is like, Oh, like we should do this because it's like helpful to someone. Yeah. When I think about legacy, I really think about the trickle down effect of it, Mm -hmm. where like if someone, you know, part of the work of someone like Marsha P. Johnson or Sylvia Rivera to inspire someone like you to then impact, you know, they can impact or they can inspire like 10,000 people. And one of those 10,000 people is you and you're impacting 1000 people through social media, maybe 10 people in the immediacy of your life. And those 10 people can go on and go on and go on. And so when I think about my own legacy, like, I don't think I am going to be so impactful in my life that I will be remembered by all. Like, I don't think of myself as like a great artist and, oh, he has so many books. Like, I don't, I think I'm going to just drop dead. But I think that if I, you know, if something that I said or something that I wrote could could help someone who was maybe going to, to <laughs> if someone, if I if I could in some way, in some form, stop someone from dying... And that person then goes on and does something. That's really cool. That's that's really special. And that's really incredible to me. And we don't always know when we're when we're doing that. Like you don't have to be famous to be a role model. Sometimes someone just seeing you thrive in whatever, you know, what to them they would consider thriving, what to you is just being alive. Um I don't know. I I think of you a role as a role model for just the way that you live out loud which is like such a gross you know corporate pride (laughs) phrase but like but you do and you carry yourself in spaces in a way that seems fearless and in a way that to me is so inspiring because i don't feel that way i don't feel comfortable in my skin i don't feel like able to take up space and so when i see someone doing that it means so much to me yeah i like your energy i want to hear how tuesday wants to be remembered yeah. Do you want to be remembered? I feel like, um, you know, I was really obsessed for a long time with, like, legacy in terms of being impressive for my work. You know, being the best. Being accomplishment. Being really competitive. You know, um proving that I could do things better than anybody else. And then, you know, I had a real turning point on my 29th birthday where I feel like I started recognizing that, um, you know, this, what I was trying to do was separate myself from the general public um, in a way that was alienating me and keeping me from like, having a human experience and 
Yeah, just sort of like, I was like, oh, why am I so obsessed with being a robot and like proving to people that I'm superhuman? Like, that's, you know, I don't want to, I don't want that to be like, yeah, who I am or like what I'm about or like what I'm putting into the world because I think it's really easy or it was really easy for me to be like, oh, you know, it's fine to be an imperfect person for other people. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, you know what to say, but you don't feel it for yourself. Totally. And, you know, I just was not extending myself a lot of like grace or um, just time to like get to know myself again, you know, like and, you know, time to kind of recognize like I don't I'm not my output. And, um, you know, like I really felt like I was kind of like living my life for um, other people's like digestion of me. And I was like, mm. Mm, I just can't do it anymore. You know, like I feel like I've been wasting my life. Wow. Yeah. Right. Just that moment of like, it's it's time to like yeah, live, totally. like live. And I also, I do also think that, and something Mitchell reminds me of all the time, it's like when you work for yourself and when you're building your company and you're, you know, building your work and you're, you know, if you're lucky, also building, <laughs> reaping the financial reward um, enough from that work. It's at a certain point, it's like, why? Like, why am I doing this if all that it is allowing me to do is to work more and work harder? And it's like, there's a difference between like ambition and drive and then obsession. Like at a certain point, it's like, like, why, why am I building myself the the freedom of being my own boss if in right. fact I am and just working double? Um, yeah, you're yeah. being a bad boss to yourself. I think that's something that I was, you know, until you just enunciated it so well, I don't know if I realized that's what I was doing, but I definitely for a while was very interested in being like this guy that does his thing. Like, oh, that's Adam. He does this and this. And like, I think for a while, a, a good number of people believed that I was genuinely very busy and like too busy to invite to hang out or too busy to like catch up with. And I just started feeling really isolated. And I think it's because I was starting to project. I was starting to like believe my own projection a little too hard. Like what I was putting on the internet was starting to make me, I was just starting to feel like my brand. Right. Trapped by your own like projection into the world. Yeah. And I, it just was not, just wasn't good anymore and i think i think i've been feeling isolated for a long time actually and part of that is definitely rooted in like my mental health and now i live on an island in the middle of the ocean so like objectively you don't feel isolated anymore but in in some ways i feel the same or or even better because i just i'm reaching out to people more i'm i'm having more conversations like tuesday and i like we started talking on the phone more which I really struggle with talking on the phone, just like I struggle with listening to podcasts. Like, it's just hard to have voices in my head that aren't singing. Like, if we could all sing, that would really help me. And like, oh with like a dance beat. Um, yeah. God, I don't. Oh, legacy is. It's weird to be so obsessed with death, but then also so stressed out by it. But maybe that's where the obsession comes from. It's yeah, like, that's definitely where the obsession comes from. You're like. Uh, like I know we're all gonna die, but I want to be remembered in like a really specific way. 
But I feel like letting go of that and being like, at least for me, instead of being like trying to be impressive, be like, how can I be like a good friend to myself and also like a really good friend to like my friends and my partners and, you know, like, um, yeah, just you know, be more present in my life and purposeful. I feel like I want those things for now. Like I want to be a better friend. I want to be a better, better family to the people that I care about now. But I don't, I'm not necessarily interested in doing that so that they like remember me better when I'm dead. Like, I kind of don't care after I'm dead. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, it's hard enough being alive. Like now I have to curate my death experience. You know what I mean? I'm just like, I don't care, but I do want to be a better friend now. I want to be more available. I want to be more helpful. I want to feel like, it took me a long time to realize that I'm actually like really fueled by being useful or feeling like I'm being useful to others, sometimes to the detriment of everyone. Or like, like sometimes I, I'm overbearing or I'm trying to control a situation that does not require it at all. Like, and it can be as silly as like, oh, I've just ordered a bunch of appetizers for everyone. And everyone's like, no, 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 we, we already ordered what we wanted. Like, this is too much. You know, sometimes it's like, that doesn't, that doesn't help. Who says it's too much? I want to know. Jay and I would be like, you were both like slide it over. Yeah. I just, I'm realizing that like I have anti-energy. Like I really, I, I'm like, I have anti-energy and I'm trying to lean into it. I'm trying to trust it more. I'm trying to like, yeah, be corny. Like, I don't know. I made fridge magnets. You know what I mean? I'm just getting into it. I've decided to get into it. Yeah. Cause we can't control what will happen after we die. No, we cannot. Um, it's very, you are here for now. Very, yeah. I know. Come on, come on, Susan, bring it back. <laughs> well, so, <laughs> this podcast sponsored by... This podcast brought to you by this, but I know it's... <sighs> putting a book out into the world is weird. I know, it's, I just, I literally just finished saying I don't care about legacy or when I die. Yeah. And then I'm making books, which there's something about it which feels so like... Oh, you're contributing to the legacy of books. You're going to be at the library. But it's like, yeah, it is very, very cool to be able to put a little bit of yourself into something and send it out into the world. And I, I always think about my work as creating tools for people to help themselves. Because you really cannot tell some you can't just go to someone and be like, fix your life. But you can give them tools or access to tools, and then allow them to do the work for themselves. And that's always where it's the most impactful. And that's the coolest thing about getting older um, is realizing that a lot of the things about you that you thought you had to hide or bury or change or mask ultimately are exactly what make you who you are. And, and we know this, we've heard this, it's so whatever, but to feel it, to feel like, hey, you were actually valid this whole time. Hey, the people that love you, they knew, they knew all along, you were not fooling anybody. And in fact, that's what drew you drew them to you. And I have to say about our friendship, like we are friends because of the orbits that we put out that drew each other to ourselves. Because especially when you connect, you know, particularly um, because of the internet, that's all there is. There is just the, the orbit that we're putting out. There's just like the, the, it's like smoke signals of like, this is who I am. This is what I'm about. Is this okay to you? If so, follow the trail. And you both really led me led me in and then it was my absolute pleasure to introduce you to each other so 
thanks for being on my podcast. Sorry, I don't really know how to host a podcast. I mean, Jay actually had a podcast and has lots of podcast experience. So I'm just a little bit insecure. But thank you. I I love you both so much. You both look beautiful and amazing. And I'm so happy to see your faces. You've been listening to You Are Here For Now, the podcast. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And pick up a copy of my book, You Are Here For Now, for yourself or someone you love at your favorite bookstore or adamjk.com. Until next time, be kind to yourself and remember, you are here, but you're not alone.